Well, Dak, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. Welcome into the Victory Bells podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. Oh, big golfs, huh? All right. On Red Raider Sports Radio. Well, see you later. And now, here's Will. Great cash, homie. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Victory Bells podcast, brought to you by our friends from Hypnotic Donuts right here in the Hypnotic Donuts studio. And, uh, Matt, I've got a, got a question for you. What is that? Do you like uh, sugary, sugary, uh, sugary treats? Absolutely. Do you like chicken? Yeah. Do you like biscuits? Uh, so far, we're, we're all yeses here. So do you like all three of those possibly combined together or possibly in the same location? I mean, you know, I think it sounds easiest if it was all at the same location, but like put together in a unique way. That sounds great. What if I told you that there's a place you can do that with our guys at uh, Hypnotic Donuts where they got the chicken biscuits, they got the donuts, they, they got they got all the fixings, basically, is, is how I like to... You don't have some fixings. <laughs> but, uh, all, but, but seriously, though, uh, those guys, uh, our boy James, who is throw like crazy on the board... Runs Hypnotic Donuts. Those guys are located in DFW, both in Denton and in Dallas. And uh, Good Red Raiders, legit mean that. And uh, really excited to have them uh, supporting us nowadays on Red Raider Sports. And big supporters of Texas Tech. So if if anything, like an evil Elvis, if uh, you don't know what that is, I suggest you go uh, check it out on their website. Or uh, my personal personal favorite is the uh, Canadian Healthcare, which is like a, uh, a long john. Which is like the long donut that's you know you know what I'm talking about. It's just like mm-hmm. a long, and uh, it's got some maple syrup, some glaze, and some uh, bacon. So you get kind of the sugary sweet deal, and that's up my alley. So yeah, that's what. Uh, but they do they do it all right, man. The cinnamon cinnamon rolls and spelled S I N. You know you know you, you get the you get it. Do you get yeah, it? it's pun. It's punny. <laughs> no, I was going to say really, though, yeah. if you they they also take pre-orders with a day's notice, um, and and it's got a, a minimum order of twenty bucks Monday through Friday, and then sixty on the weekends. But uh, if you've got something going on at the office, or you got a kid's birthday, or, or even just want to have some folks over, and you want to feed them breakfast, you know, get a hold of those guys in Dallas or Denton. Uh, check them out on Instagram and Facebook, and and you may be able to see what they've got going on on a daily, weekly basis. But you know, we're uh, we're big fans, and uh, we want to try to support any other red raiders just like they're supporting red raider sports so definitely check those guys out for sure absolutely man so let's get right into it matt uh well i guess first before we get into any football uh just jump the gun a little bit there wanted to first get into one bit of recruiting news here just real quickly hit on it uh and that would be the fact that tech has offered uh abilene cooper wide receiver myler royals and uh, I would guess this is in counteraction to some of the, the decommits you've had here in the last couple of days and may have uh, some other stuff kind of going on at receiver. Obviously, I think we're kind of wondering about the status of Gabriel Douglas and uh, how things are going to end up. But, uh, but yeah, Matt, I mean, uh, he's a guy that uh, I've, I've kind of gotten in contact with a little bit, and we'll, we'll see where things go. But what do you kind of know so far about Myler? 
Well, I mean, I'll keep it to a minimum. Like we said, yeah. you know, definitely check out Hypnotic Donuts. They allow us to do this podcast, <laughs> yeah. share some info yeah. free of charge. But um, on a day-to-day basis, you can check us out at RedRaiderSports.com and get all of the details. I know you hinted at Gabriel Douglas and his status, but there's going to be some other members of this class, particularly at wide receiver, where maybe the coaches re-rack and take a look at some other targets. And Myler um, was a little bit out of the blue just because, you know, we have obviously a strong contingent of folks from the DFW area right. um, that are Red Raider alumni, but obviously the West Texas area, especially Abilene, there's a strong contingent of uh, Red Raiders on our board there. And this actually started from a, a member post. And we were familiar with Myler. He, he visited as an underclassman last year, and he, he checks all the boxes when you look at 6'5 and 180. And a lot of people compared him to Vasher in terms of his frame. But you turn on the senior tape that he released here recently, and, and you see that he's been very productive. Um, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I'll pull them. Have not been able to talk to him one-on-one, but I talked to his head coach at Abilene Cooper and the offensive coordinator. Basically, a lot of the, the, the same things. You know, Not enough for me to really generate an update, right, but yeah. great great kid. Feel that he's undervalued, overlooked, uh, just because he's in there, in there in West Texas. But in terms of measurables and athleticism, they say he's as good as they come and one of the best kids that they've coached. So uh, when you when you just look at it from that standpoint, um, you, you look at the coaches and maybe what they're trying to accomplish and, and adding some size on the outside there. Um, I, I think, you know, the other thing to consider is, you know, Basher's had some success, but then right. you really kind of look at what's leaving this after this season and what will still be there. You do have some talented receivers, right? I mean, it's Texas Tech. They've recruited the position well. They're throwing a lot of numbers at it this season. But in terms of guys that are six four and above, you don't have that. And I, I think, you know, you, you look at that Iowa State game where they've got two of those guys on the outside, two of those guys that are making plays. And then another one that comes in on relief. And so maybe maybe they were taking a page there and, and maybe they just wanted to add some size. You, you, we know that uh, Eric Izukenma is also decided on Thanksgiving and Tech is in his top three. And while he's not 6'4", 6'5", he's definitely 6'3", and over 200 pounds. So, a big uh, target still. Yeah. Right. And so you get these kids in your program. You, uh, you, know, you see what they can do. Uh, but, but going back to Myler. Um, again, West Texas kid offers from UH, uh, Kansas, and Texas Tech most recently, and a lot of other small offers. Not sure on the timeline or how long he's had some of those, um, but coaches didn't really give me any indications on schools that are showing interest or kind of keeping him on the line. I know in the past he's told me a little bit about Baylor, and he's gone to, to camp there as well. But for the most part, I mean, through eight games, 55 receptions, 857 yards, and nine touchdowns. So uh, productive and, you know, one of the better players in that program. And so I know that uh, one of our members who had who'd posted about this and another one that are from Abilene um, right. you know, kind of echoed the sentiment that he's a, a great kid, also confirmed, you know, he's a, a track star. So really anytime you can get those guys, uh, whether they, you know, grow into a, a superstar in the offense or not, I think those are useful weapons uh, in the offense. And, and I apologize. I didn't mean to kind of gloss over Anton Cox Wesley. Um, but in terms of guys, you know, that's really the only one I can think of that's on the bench that, that has that sort of frame or that right. sort of size and capability. Yeah. And with him, you, you don't really know what, uh, I guess what you're kind of going to do with him as far as for the future, because he's playing in the slot right now, really is just kind of a backup tight end kind of role. I would guess sure. what it kind of is. So I'm just curious to see if if he ends up as you know a back on the outside because he was on the outside originally, and I think he's about six four, so he's a little bit shorter than than uh, than Vasher is. So, so yeah, I think still you, you know you lose both Cantrell and, and Willie's who you know 
production or otherwise with Willie's, that's still a six four receiver. Uh, Cantrell is a six three guy with you know great right. ball skills. So yeah, I, I think you absolutely still need to add some more size to that group for the future. Well, and I think another guy that comes to mind is Dante Thompson. But in terms of you know height and weight, he's he's actually grown into that H back sort right. of you know backup tight end type of role. And you know we talked about it a lot for the season, but really that hasn't come to fruition outside of maybe some blocking and running plays. Uh, but we'll see as it goes along. I think a lot of that has to do with you know who's at quarterback style of play. And I know that we plan on getting to that a little bit later. But um, I, I just think of that because when I watched uh, Cibola Steele and talking about Anton Cox Wesley in high school, you know they had Xavier martin at quarterback they had that run pass option you know they had a lot of things to trick the defense and he would be that guy you know running the the fly pattern on that rpo and and you know burning a lot of defenses so i know a lot of that doesn't necessarily correlate directly to the college level right uh, when you've got a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball there as well to cover him uh but but you know just we'll we'll touch on it later but the different styles of quarterback play you know definitely open up different routes and, and different you know parts of the field if you will so anyway that's just the that's just a general update on Myler. I know we're still efforting to get in touch with him. Uh, I guess, you know, folks just got to remember it's mid season and not every kid loves to do interviews. So we'll, we'll get it when we get it, but we've confirmed the offer to talk to his coaches. Right. Um, and, and surprisingly enough, they actually have a five, nine. Uh, I was talking to these guys. They're like, well, you really got to look at our running back. And they've got this kid that's five, nine, 190, uh, 190 pounds. And he's already rushed for something like uh 12 1300 yards and 24 touchdowns wow. through eight games uh so you know you never know he's got literally no offers no interest and so uh could be a potential you know walk-on type of candidate as well but you know somebody that you can use as a, a jitterbug in the offense yeah absolutely would be uh curious to see where things go and uh we will find out more about myler uh this weekend i've gotten in touch with him and uh we'll see if we can get something together there at least get you guys a little bit more info on that as far as recruiting news that's really kind of the the only thing going on right, right now uh really not a ton of other uh, other other info i guess we got for you right now uh but it's just kind of a curious time within the program obviously with how things have gone here the last you know three four weeks matt and you know you, you've lost you know three of your last four and i guess three in a low four of your last five and it, it, it just seems like this team has after how well they started off the season, and I think you really liked uh, how it seemed like this group had really legitimately turned a corner through the, that first those first couple games, as opposed to what they've been the last couple years. Uh, I mean, you were playing much much better defense. The offense was uh, still you know as, as potent as as it usually has been, and uh, your special teams outside of kicking had been pretty good. Uh, you hadn't had quite as many penalties, except for in one game or two. And it just seemed like you were playing a lot better team football. Uh, they were staying in games. They were playing tough. I think they had a good mentality. And, I mean, you were on the sideline for two different games, Matt, and you saw the same things I did. And it just seemed like since then, ever since the second half of the West Virginia game, things have just kind of fallen apart a little bit. And why that is, you know, I don't don't really know. I, I just know that you, you just have seemingly kind of reverted back to your old ways that you, that, where in 2016 and even some in 2015 – where you're not playing great football, you're really streaky on offense. Uh, defense has still been a little bit better, but there's still a lot of penalties. You make a lot of, I think, frankly, kind of boneheaded mistakes a lot of the time. And the energy just doesn't seem to be there like it was early on in the year. And this team just doesn't seem to handle adversity like it did early on in the year. So 
I think it's just it's just a wonder of where the mentality is and, and just kind of where the things are at with this team right now. No, I'd agree with that. Uh, but, I mean, through eight games, you're four and four. I mean, you've seen also seen bright spots. There's also yeah. a couple things you can point to. Um, but I think, you know, really what you, you hit on is that you know, your quarterback's healthy, your running backs have been, you know, relatively healthy, right? I mean, you still yeah. have depth there. Um, so I wouldn't say that that's a, a strength of the offense by any means. Uh, but your offensive line, for the most part, has been healthy. Um, and then early on in the season, like you said, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, whether we're talking about Texas Tech, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, basketball, whatever. I mean, when things are going good, things are going good, right? I mean, there's a flow, yeah. there's a rhythm, there's a momentum. And when things are going bad, it just takes a couple of little things. Like you said, I mean, you guys were there for Iowa State. You said uh, it was like the air let out of the stadium when they missed the extra point. And, and maybe in the grand scheme of things, we'll look back on it, and that's not as significant. And Iowa State, maybe it's just a really good team. I think they're continuing to prove that. Um, but if you look back, it's for me personally saying that out loud, it's so hard to read everything and, you know, just kind of take a look at everything post, um, I guess post, you know, second half of West Virginia and really point to one thing and say, this is what's happening. Um, and, and I know you said kind of momentum or mentality. I mean, obviously I think these guys want to win, right? I mean, they want their coach to stay around, but we really are at a crossroads. Now you look at the remaining schedule and you've got Kansas State this weekend, which I think we both talked before the show. I mean, we feel like that's a manageable win. And then you've got Baylor, who either they beat Kansas or they don't. So they're going to be 1-8 and eight or 0-9. Or you know, a lot of people expect you to win that game just based on a lot of things. I know there's going to be a lot of people that are just so whipped that they'll even, you know, start talking about how that's a losable game. But in, in our opinion, you know, when we talk, both winnable games, right? So sure, if we take yeah. that assumption and they're 6-4, and four, you know, you've got momentum, you're bowl eligible. There's a lot to be, I guess, satisfied is the wrong word, but a lot to be, you Feel know, okay to build about at least. Well, yeah, the team's going to get an off season of practices. The team's going to get to go to a bowl game and challenge, you know, somebody at a conference again. So I mean, it just gives you a lot to build upon. And then, you know, you look at TCU, obviously that's not the one that you're going to put a stamp and say winnable per se, you know, but it's at home. And if you win those two games, you're six and four, you're feeling and good. And they're at least beatable if they're not some juggernaut well, football team. True. But, but if we're just kind of towing the line of winnable, not winnable, you know, let's just throw that one in the lowest probability. Right. Uh, yeah. But then you look at, you look at Texas and, and stellar, very talented on defense, but not really figured it out on offense. There's uh, you know, Thanksgiving night game, um, you know, a lot, a lot that, you know, you, you could say that that's a winnable game. Right. And I don't, I don't know if, if we have the stats of how often Texas tech has won in Austin, but I'd imagine that's, not very high. So you got to consider all of that. So that's what makes the next, you know, the next game really, but the next two weeks so important because it's going to change. Let's just, for example, you and I, we're going to cover the game this weekend. You know, we're going to talk about it, but if we're on the same podcast next week and the Red Raiders somehow lose to Kansas state, um, you know, on the other side of this coin or conversation, you know, will what happens to your four or I'm sorry, your four and five, you're going up against Baylor and Dallas. And then, like we said, you got TCU in Texas. I mean, at that point, at that point in time, is bowl eligibility still possible? Yeah. You know, yes, math- mathematically. But, I mean, if, if you lose this weekend, it, the conversation shifts to we have to start talking about, you know, will Coach Kingsbury be fired? And if that happens, what's going to happen to the 18 recruits that we have now? And do we start taking a closer look at who's committed, who's looking around? Or, you know, how many guys have you got on offense, especially receiver, compared to guys you have on defense? And like you said, I mean, our guys – are guys really kind of coaching and focusing on keeping their job and winning games 
Well, and, and maybe letting the foot off the gas on recruiting. I don't know. Yeah. It's not really fair for us to say because the one offer we're talking about was sort of under the radar. So who knows? Maybe they are, you know, chasing after some of these guys. But just from some, you know, just from a couple of guys that have covered recruiting for five, ten years, you know, yourself. I mean, it's very slow right now. And mm. while there are 18 commitments, you know, we talked about some targets. It all centers around the wide receiver position, it seems, all the time. Um, and, and, you know, you still have spots to fill on defense. And if, even though you have 18 total commitments, you've got at least three or four guys enrolling early. So, you know, you take that down to about 14. So let's call it a conservative five spots left. Yep. And you just don't have very many new offers at all. And the new offers that you do have are on on the wide receiver side. Uh, so anyway, I mean, I think a lot of people are, are both interested to see, you know, how the, the program does from a win loss standpoint, but also, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it's just not a lot to talk about lately. I mean, you've got guys yeah. that are, you know, firmly committed. You've got guys that are, uh, fill, filling spots, but then there are no more targets. We've been talking for what seems like two months about how the coaches are going to be able to go to games, uh, identify targets, you know, the chips are going to fall where they may. And, and maybe they've got a plan, and, it, and we're, it's going to come to fruition, and we'll find out sooner or later. But right now, you just look at your targets, and you wonder, okay, are a lot of these kids waiting to see how the season goes? Do they like this staff? Do they want to yeah. visit? But are they waiting to see, hey, I mean, are these guys going to get shown the door, and all of a sudden I've closed my commitment, and a bunch of schools turn elsewhere, and I lose spots? You know, I mean, I think that's a fair way to kind of look at it if we, you know, bring it all the way back to recruiting. But I'm sorry, I kind of went on a <laughs> on a on a on a little uh, rant there. But but no, what are your thoughts? I mean, because you know, going into the weekend and going over the next two weeks, I mean it's I mean, it is the Cliff Kingsbury tenure. I mean, I think you can comfortably say that. And even if you don't even get into the argument of do they let him go this year versus next year, because I can't imagine going through this same sort of approach throughout another offseason and another football season. I mean, that would yeah. be capital B brutal, Will, and, and I think you'd have to agree. If you go through the same offseason and, and the same questions and you basically just kind of merry-go-round this thing and do the exact same thing next year, it will just be, I think, exhausting. And to be honest, I, th- I think more so than this time around, I, I think if if they go 5-7 and seven or 6-6 six and six and you don't make a move, I think a lot of people will be pretty upset with that, and I think you'll you'll alienate a pretty big portion of the fan base. And I, I just don't know what I would think about next year's you know football season, at least you know initially, as far as fan support and excitement for it. Just because it, it, let's let's just face the facts here: it's year five at this point, and other than really a year, your first year, you go seven and zero. And then seven and five, eight and five, and it's a year where I think you look at the roster, and and I think your quarterback deficiencies were a pretty big reason you went, you you had some of your problems. But I think after that year, you're thinking, okay, went eight and five this year, uh, we'll get it moving forward after this. And there just hasn't been any upward momentum since there. Then it's kind of just been one sink year and up year, a sink year and up year, and there there's just no signs of at least there hadn't been before this year, there had not been any major signs of you taking steps forward and changing things as a program. Then things seemed to kind of evolve early on the season, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, awesome, okay, they got this figured out, they finally kind of have the pieces in place they want, Uh, they've kind of got their roster built up for the future, for how you're going to kind of roll with it, Uh, they've got their recruiting in, in cycle, you're finally playing with all your guys, you know, across the board, and it just seemed like early on in the year that, 
you were playing kind of finally the kind of football the Kingsbury wanted to play, uh, that David Gibbs had wanted to play, and it was everything was kind of hunky dory. And then I won't say that the bottom has fallen out, but things have just gotten a lot rockier in the last you know three and a half weeks, and I, I just don't know why. And I guess the point being is that if it keeps being this way and you finish the year at five and seven and six and six, what signs have you gotten at that point that things are going to change? Don't get me sure. wrong. I, I mean, I, I like the staff. I like guys on the staff. I like Cliff a lot, and I would love nothing more than to see like this group of guys succeed, uh, because I think it's honestly hard to find a group of like just like for the most part like just pretty good dudes on staff that that I think are smart smart coaches, and I think they get it, but it just seems like they can't put it together for some reason. Um, well, I mean, what, all of our opinions, all of our analysis, everything that we do goes in front of diehard Texas Tech fans. And, right. you know, we're both guys that went to Texas Tech and we enjoy doing what we do because we also like college football and, and Texas Tech football. And so when you just kind of break it down as simply as possible and don't, you know, provide any expert analysis or whatever else, you look at this season, you know, you touched on it, you're five. But, I mean, by no means will I say the defense has figured it out. But I mean, in terms but of it's a lot inter- better. Yeah. yeah, in terms of improving, in terms of not just being a sieve on on defense or the reason why a team, you know, like last year, right? You know, you put up the last year is a polar opposite. You put up fifty points and you lose how many three or four games? Three games. We, yeah. Three games. So so right. I mean that that would have never happened so far this year, right? The defense is is. I know, I know that's not some milestone, as I say it out loud. Point being, though. Uh, it, it just simply put, the defense hasn't been, you know, the glaring issue. It's been the offense, and so that's the the most frustrating part, I think, for our members to really digest or make sense of. Because even as you watch the games, you know, a lot of people have pointed the finger at Shimanek. A lot of people have pointed the finger at play calling. I don't know. I think you know we talked about it. My personal opinion is is obviously it's a combination of all of these things and the offensive line hasn't been stellar um but they've been serviceable they've been not terrible in, in my opinion of, of re-watching games but the point being is that you know you you look at this year compared to last year and we talk about Shimanek specifically and yeah quarterbacks are going to have a down quarter a down half and miss a few throws here and there um but i don't think he has the same you know the true autonomy to audible at the line Right. I mean, you you see the clap, look to the sideline, see if Kingsbury wants to change the play. And more and more, especially on the road or when you're behind, you know, when you're doing that, it just makes the offense very predictable. Yeah. And it it just the the play clock goes down, down, down. I'm sure you've noticed this. But to me, that's the biggest difference in this season. And I know it's a trust factor between the quarterback and the coach. But on one hand, we can't talk about how he waited his time and he's been here three years and knows the offense back and forth. But at the same time, he can't make his own audibles. Um, and 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 maybe there's a middle ground there. I'm sure there is. But and I to think me, there just is some watching kind of middle ground, yeah, yeah, just watching the games. So that's that's what I wanted to point out. Is I I think that kind of to me, when the more you wait to snap the ball, the more you audible like that, and when it becomes almost on a everyday play basis, you a you lose your rhythm and b. You know, I think you become more predictable because you've got to snap the ball, you've got to get off the ball, and whether you're running or you're passing, you know, the defense has got you on your heels. And and I agree with everything you just said. And to me, th- th- there's been this 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 factor of whenever you're slowing down the rhythm like that too. I, I think what this offense had when it's thrived under Kingsbury is not necessarily whenever it has to go at breakneck pace, but whenever you're running up tempo. 
I think that he is such a good play designer as far as he, he knows how he wants to manipulate defenses that whenever he sets things up and you're running up tempo and you don't give a defense time to think and all they can do is react, that's whenever you start gashing opponents as far as how he and the rest of the staff kind of design things. Mm-hmm. And to me, like you said, this offense this year, really at any time, whenever they decide to slow things way down and they're doing a lot of check with me's, and they're they're trying to I guess get more cerebral with it and really play chess instead of just up tempo it and play checkers. I think it it's the offense just really just been behind the eight ball a lot. And in my opinion, because of how how fast that they've played in the past with this offense, I think a lot of these guys that they're just not used to trying to play at this slower pace. And I think guys start thinking too much. And I think whenever you think too much in football, I know this kind of sounds you know counterintuitive to what you'd think. But in football, whenever you're thinking too much, you are never going to execute like you should. Football is a sport of there, – there's a balance between, in my opinion anyway, of guys need to know what they're doing, but at the same time, you've got to just get them on the move. Because when people are on the move, you think less and you act more. And I think that's just why when this offense has been simpler is when it's been its most successful. When it gets more complex – and you start slowing things down, and you're making checks at the line, line like a ton of checks as far as check with me's or otherwise, and you're not running your pace, you're not running how the offense is designed to run in the first place. Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and we talked about it even coming into this past weekend, and, and that's, again, when we just come full circle and we just try to talk to the folks that are listening to this podcast, we're just trying to figure out, you know, I mean, where the frustrations come in, you know, how do we figure out what's going on here? But you watch the first quarter against Oklahoma. I mean, these guys are out there just dealing and you're like, OK, you know, they found the offense. And then, I mean, I don't know. I'll ask you what happened. I, I don't know what happened. Right. Oklahoma's defense didn't get better. Um, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, I, I can't sit here and explain it to you. A lot of people say play calling or not running the ball or whatever else. I mean, maybe we need to take a closer look at it because I really am stumped. I think these guys just have had some very, very obvious struggles on offense. And, and we just haven't seen that in a while at, at Tech. Maybe we're spoiled uh, with Mahomes, and, and I don't know, but I, I don't remember a lot of these lulls for an entire quarter. You, you, I think you said it. It's three, four straight games where they've only scored seven points in the second half. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's what it's been. Yeah, it's insanity. And uh, this has been the first time, I think, ever under Cliff that there's been three consecutive games where you haven't scored in the fourth quarter. And in Cliff's tenure, there's been a grand total of eight, eight times you haven't scored a point in the fourth quarter. Three of them have been this year. So. To me, it's just a matter of this offense, for whatever reason, it's just slogged down so much. And I've even noticed guys like like Joel Klatt and a number of other guys that I like that are color analysts who have who have taken notice of it too. Whenever Tech has slowed down the tempo, where they've even said, you know, I don't know, you know, what Tech's you know rhyme or reason is to why you slow it down when you're so successful with how fast you run it. Which I agree with those guys. Uh, and a guy like Joel Klatt would know more than me. I mean, he played the position, and I mean, he studies the offense more than I do. So it, it's just a deal to me where this offense, I think if you're going to have the success you've had in the past, I think you've got to not not really throw caution to the wind, but I think you just have to throw out all this check with me stuff and just kind of roll with it. And what you get's what you get. And if, uh, if, if Nick sees something he doesn't like, then I think you tell him to check with Cliff. But if he see if everything he sees he likes it, just let him roll. I mean, I I think so because at some point in time, and, and maybe we're nitpicking here, but I'm I watched the majority of the games 
from the house. And like you said, even even though I've been to a couple of games, even at the games I've been to, it just it it's kind of like uh, when when have you been to an MLB game since they started doing instant replay? Yes. Uh, it's so annoying. Game, yeah. It feels so unnatural. Um, when you're watching on TV, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You expect it from watching so much TV or football on TV. But when you're at a baseball game and they just stop the game for five minutes, I mean, it's annoying. And I feel like that's what they do. They get some momentum. They get a first down. And, yes, the refs come and they let the defense substitute and they do all that. But that should be ample time for you to look over to coach Get a few hand signals. I mean, it seems it's not just tech. It's every program. They got a guy wearing a fluorescent green sweater and a bright red sweater. Right. And they're all doing the different signs. They're slapping their leg and scratching their head. I mean, to me, like, I feel like we've overdone that. I feel like maybe they need to. I mean, if you're going to have an offense, right, if you're going to have an offense that supposedly only has two or three plays and a bunch of different concepts, well, then why can't you simplify the play calling? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess there's a whole nother argument there. But to me. You're watching the game, whether it's at the game or on TV, they they make a 20-yard completion, hurry to the line to get tempo and rhythm, and then get lined up, fake clap, oh, well, let's look at coach for a minute. Yeah. And then 10, 15 seconds go off the clock. I mean, you're basically letting the defensive line sub out, get a breather, do whatever else. And then after that happens and you only run the ball for one or two yards or a negative play – well, I mean, you've just wasted so much more clock as well. So I don't know. I guess there's arguments for and against. I get that. But this is an offensive rhythm. And if you're not scoring and you don't have rhythm, I mean, it's just been so – there's there's too many peaks and valleys. You can't win games like that. I have, I have another thought too that I think that you're subbing too much on offense as far as I get it whenever, you know, you're in like a seven or eight play drive and you've just been going forever and somebody needs like needs a break, like somebody's got to get a breather. But to me, I've, I've thought that when this offense runs at its best is when you aren't subbing and when you don't sub, the defense can't sub either. And so you can run it at breakneck speeds and they just can't keep up if, as long as you don't sub. And to me... There, there's been this kind of shift gradually as we've gotten further and further into Cliff's, Cliff's tenure where there's more and more different personnel sets. There's different, you know, specific plays that he has sets up with personnel sets. And there's a whole lot more subbing going on. And I think that's more of an NFL thing where in the NFL you do all these different personnel packages and you do lots of subbing uh, and you do all the, you know, checking at the line and you, and you slow down the rhythm. I think that, don't get me wrong, I, I get subbing and I get you changing out things mid-drive, but I just feel like there are lots of times where there will be, it's almost like a line change in hockey, you know, you know what I'm saying, where, with this offense at times, where there will be like five guys go out and five new guys come in, and or I, mean, I guess four skill guys go out and four skill guys come in, and it, I think it just slogs down this offense on top of everything else, especially at times whenever they're rolling downfield, so I don't know. I guess all this to say, I just feel like as far as Kingsbury goes, as brilliant of a play designer as he is, I just feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, I I just feel like you need to make a commitment to one way or the other where let's go more towards the NFL stuff and we'll do all that kind of stuff or we'll do the up-tempo stuff. And you need to, I think you need to pick one or the other instead of trying to be as multiple as you're trying to be. Yeah, well, especially when you're struggling, I I mean – I know we've kind of beat this one dead into the ground, but yeah. the, the end of the day, right? If you're struggling with something, you need to start Simplified. over. You need to try you it different. It. Yes, exactly. And if your quarterback 
is for three, two, even two straight weeks, if he's struggling in the second half, you sit down with him during the week or you review the tape and you figure out what can we do differently. And I know that that's said so easier than it's done. But at the end of the day, you know, that's why people question play calling. That's why people question the personnel choices. You have got to give your quarterback, you know, the the folks that, that surround him and, and give him that comfort zone. And and again, I know we touched on it earlier, but isn't that the isn't that the weirdest part of, of how Willie's whole season has gone? I mean, all we heard about is how they were homies, and that's a big reason that Willie's chose Texas Tech. I mean, this guy had uh, Oklahoma came after him late. Um, TCU who else? was a big, TCU. Was a big, big there was a, S, a couple of SEC schools. I mean, so Georgia, he was, yeah, Georgia, Georgia was yeah, a big Georgia. Too. He was highly recruited, and, and so you know, for for his season to play out the way it has, and and there's conversations either which way about that. But all we heard on the recruiting front was, you know, no, he's good friends with Shimanek, and the coaches think highly of Shimanek, and they're going to end up playing together again. Yada yada yada. I mean. And now he's put up a whole big nothing burger this season. Yeah, I, I think some of that has to do with his attitude, to be to be frank, and how he's he's played. Uh, so, I, I, no I, doubt, I don't know. no doubt. And then that's just been the thing to me is I, I think there's a reason why he gets left home last week whenever you go to Norman, Oklahoma, and his playing time has done nothing but decrease, decrease, decrease. I don't think that even has anything to do with his quarterback. I think that has to do with him and uh, just the way that he's he's been. And I, you don't ever want to label a kid because you don't necessarily know what's going on with him. And I hate to do that, but it just seems like as far as his play on the field, it just seems like there's been lots of mental errors, whether that be blocking, uh, getting called for a false start penalty, being off the line, like simple, like procedural things that for like a senior college receiver should be no-brainer kind of deals. You know what I'm saying? And... You know, missed blocking assignments. Miss doesn't know what route he's supposed to be running. Doesn't run a route as fully when he gets thrown the ball, and he just he doesn't see the ball. So, to me, it's it's all mental stuff, and, and I guess that's just been an indicator of why you've seen Dylan Cantrell move over to X, uh, which is what he did against Oklahoma. Which honestly, for the first time in a long time, it looked to me like you got you were playing good outside receiver and you were throwing it outside the hashes, which just does not happen really that much. Uh, in this offense or hasn't in the last couple of years. So I don't know, maybe it ends up being for the, for the, the stretch down here, starting TJ Vasher and starting Dylan Cantrell, which I think is what's going to happen here as far as those guys are both going to start on the outside. And maybe that ends up kind of being a blessing in disguise. But, but, but again, I'm, I'm also not saying that I don't want Derek Willis to succeed because I definitely do. So wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't have uh, an unmuted tab. Hey, you always, <laughs> you always are about the unmuted tab and, and that's cool. <laughs> That's that, that's that's a tradition, and, and it's just one we we've got to keep going every week. Golly, I was actually <laughs> well because I was trying to look up like a certain box score, and a certain, oh, of course okay. it got me. I mean, I went through and muted all of them. Anyway, sorry, man. No, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, for as much we're gonna go back and listen to this, uh, and and for as much as we've talked about it, I guarantee you we still hadn't figured it out. You know what I mean? And yeah, and and that's why you look at this weekend, uh, just to kind of bring it full circle and move on. Right. You look at Kansas State. Winnable game, we agree. You look at Baylor, winnable game. Very winnable, put a, yes. Put a full game together, whether it's the defense, whether it's the offense, but definitely a combination of the two. You know, put a full game together, and I, I really feel like with Kansas State, you know, you have a, a good opportunity here at home against a team that, you know, it's not a new injury, right? They've been playing with a backup for the better part of three to four weeks. Yeah, about four weeks, yeah. But in terms of throwing the ball down uh, downfield and attacking you through the air – 
you know, that's not going to be this team. So if the run defense and the the folks in the front seven can stay, you know, disciplined on the zone read, I feel like they'll be able to turn the game around and give the ball to the offense as much as possible. But, you know, you're sitting there on Saturday and it's, I don't know, 21 to six, whatever, 17 to seven, whatever. You go into the second half and you don't feel good about that at all. You know, because you don't know what team's coming out of the locker room, yep. you know, so, so you know, you've got to really see a full game from these guys or else or else they can lose any game, to be quite honest. I mean, I think I think we both agree as sorry as Baylor has looked, it just takes one week for them as well to just put up a bunch of points or for some mistakes to be made. And then you've got a big embarrassment on your hands. But yep. I guess we'd also agree that. You know, maybe the coaches shouldn't fly back with the team if they lose to Baylor and Dallas, but, huh. but that's a whole nother story. Um, I will say though, like you said, with Baylor, I mean, they they played with OU to the fourth quarter. They played with with uh, oh, they played with Oklahoma State. Some of Texas. that game, some of that, they played with Texas. Some of that game, uh, they really played with West Virginia right down to the wire. So I mean, they're playing a couple teams close. That K State yeah. game ended up being a couple scores, but it was I mean, it was a close game. You can't take it lightly. No, because it seems like to me, especially in the last you know four or five weeks, it, it, to start the year, Matt Rule and those guys, I think they were really trying to go about this like BS pro style grounded pound approach, and it just did not work at all because they were scoring like a touchdown or two a game, and at least against power five, or I guess against Division one teams, and the offense just looked like hot garbage. And then they kind of scrapped all that and went back to some of the stuff they they did, they've done in the past, and it looked a lot better. So credit to that staff because I think they've figured out how they need to play this year. I, I just don't know if they've got it in them because of how young they are to ever get it done. But I, I would be lying to you if I said that that game didn't scare me next weekend in Arlington uh, because I think they will. I think they'll beat Kansas this weekend in Lawrence, uh, and they might beat them by fourteen or twenty-one just because of how bad Kansas has turned out to be. Yeah, but, that's a gosh, that's a whole other story, and I, I kind of tend to agree with you. But man, I don't know. At the end of the day. You got to win that game. You got to win that game. Oh, you have how, to. Yes. How, how can you? How could you sit there and? Well, anyway, if they lose that game, then we that means they're probably not. Yeah, that means that a whole different team plays this weekend if they even have any dream of winning. Um, but yeah, let's start with just Kansas State. Yeah. Like we both agreed, winnable games. Win that game. You're five and four. Go into Dallas, play Baylor, another 11 a.m. kickoff. So I'd imagine that nobody's going to be at this thing. Uh, but well, I think that game know. will be pretty barren. Yeah, right. Attendance. So, I mean, best case scenario, you're six and four, you're bowl eligible going into those last two games. But in terms of, you know, what you and I do, I mean, our lives could change over the next month or excuse me, next month or so. Dramatically. So, yeah. Hot board and whatever else. And I don't think any of it's going to go away because let's be honest, nobody's satisfied with six and six. Um, but right now, you know, you're looking at that as a ceiling. Um, just to just because nobody really trusts what's going on on the field. And like we said, we're in year five. Now, what I'll throw out there, I mean, this is a kind of a curveball at you, but this is what we had talked about offline a little bit. You know, the only reason I pay any attention is because, like I said, my brother-in-law – or my brother-in-law, geez. My brothers, my little brothers, go went to uh, Arkansas and graduated from Arkansas, which mm-hmm. I've mentioned in the past. Well, initially, two, three weeks ago, it was reported that, that uh, Belima's uh, – buyout was like 11 12 million dollars big yeah well a local newspaper went and had a, a lawyer read through the actual contract and what it was is it those were baseline numbers but there was also a calculation that was missed by whoever had initially reported that or spread that news 
that it depended on also on how long he had been at the university and wins and et cetera. So who knows? I mean, we're not, you know, big capital J journalists and I know AD does some of the, yeah, I know AD does some of the, the freedom of information act. So maybe we'll see what we can do to, to really, you know, but, but let's be honest, like I said, we're just kind of using something that somebody else reported or Googling a figure. Um, I think it would take, a lawyer or someone familiar with contracts to actually pour through the documentation and see if it's a really a true, I don't know what it's supposed to be nine to $10 million that would be owed to Kingsbury after this year. Let's be honest. If that's the case, he's not getting fired. Right. I mean, unless somebody really steps up and even if I had $10 million, the last thing I would want to spend it on is paying a coach to just go away. I mean, this is literally pay. You're literally, are just throwing it down a dumpster. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like Notre, for example, Notre Dame just paid off Charlie Weiss, I think. You know, think about yeah, that. This is the first year that he has. This is the first year he hasn't been paid by both Kansas and and Notre Dame. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I know we're kind of fast forwarding and both of us want Kingsbury to be successful. But I only mention that because, you know, it's one of two things. Either there is something like that where there's a different calculation that somebody's missed when they looked at that, you know, after the extension and post extension, all that stuff. Because, again, it has been uh, four to five years since all of that went down. But maybe maybe, you know, somebody takes a closer look at it and I don't know, like if it's three or four million, does that change the conversation? Does it you know, it also probably depends on, you know, uh, if, a, if a donor's gonna write that yeah, big check, what do they I, want, right? I will say that I have heard that if the buyout had to be met, that it could be met. So that's just what I have, have gathered. So there's that. Yeah. Well So but I guess here, here, here. I guess what what all this really boils down to for us is this weekend is a very, very, very big game as far as the future of of Kingsbury in this program. Because uh, if if you win this weekend and if they win in a fashion where you know you feel good about things and you know kind of put together maybe not even necessarily a complete game, but a game where you're clearly out in front and you kind of hold them at arm's length, uh, probably you know you play your best game since the first half of the West Virginia game. Maybe it kind of resets the deck, and you're like, okay, five and four, uh, winnable Baylor game, and then depending on what happens to that Baylor game, you say, you know what, maybe fish seven and five, eight and four, if you really got it rolling down the stretch, because Texas and TCU aren't unbeatable teams. So, I, I think that's just what it all comes down to: is this weekend is so important in, in what you're gonna uh, do as far as the future of this program. And and this is me thinking out loud, but but as we talk about TCU, I mean, it's something that I've been wanting to do for years, and I keep forgetting. That's why I want to say it out loud. I think you and I, what we need to include into the podcast next year is like a weekly what's the narrative, right? Okay. My, my, my brother-in-law and I do this, you know, when we talk about the Cowboys because, you know, let's say in week two – the Eagles are supposed to be this, and then in week 12, they're a dumpster fire, right? That, that's kind of how I see college football, right? It's all perception, and then maybe to the middle of the season, you've got teams that are ranked like number, I don't know, 10 or 14 or whatever it may be, and at the end of the season, you're like, why was that team ever ranked number 14? Yeah. Uh, but I think we could start with preseason rankings. I think we could start with just a few headlines a week, but I feel like at the end of the season, we'll be looking at TCU, and we'll be saying, okay, well, they always have a good to very good defense, but they are who we thought they were, right? It, whether it's a loss against Tech, you know, they're going to drop another game or two. I don't. Yeah. I'm not a big believer in TCU, nor am I really anyone in the Big 12 this year in terms of a dominant team. But just that's just an example because you mentioned TCU. I mean, I think it would be very worthwhile just to follow that and to see, okay. In week two of the 2017 season, there were three stories written about how great you know so and so team is, and then. 
they go out and score, you know, seven points in aim. So, I mean, it, I think it's all yeah. relative and, um, you know, especially into the preseason, you get a lot of stuff. I, that's just something I want to do because I always think about it, but then if I don't have it written down or, you know, don't prepare for it, then it's just me just kind of spouting opinion. But anyway, I think that's something that we should definitely incorporate next year because who knows, maybe we'll be talking about a new coaching staff. Maybe we'll be talking about pros, cons, you know, capabilities, wins, loss, and all that. And we could even rip on ourselves for stuff that we've said, you know, over the weeks. But our members do a good job of that for us. Because here, I mean, here's the interesting thing. I think no matter if this coaching staff's in place or a different one's in place next year, I think you feel pretty good about that team you've got coming back uh, as far as you're going to return all five starters on your offensive line, all four starters on your defensive line, uh, both your starting linebackers, uh, every single starter in your secondary – uh, like like at this point, you literally will return every starter on your defense. Uh, offensively, you're going to return five, uh, six. Seven, you know, I mean, you're going to return seven or eight starters. So I mean, this is a team that, for the most part, is the same group next year, and a lot of the depth is the same. There's just not much age that you lose this year. So I, I think you know that's another interesting part of this conversation is is even if you go five and seven or six and six, would you look at this team and say? Well, next year, you know, you, you probably start a more dynamic playmaker at quarterback. And on top of that, I think you're going to be really talented overall. Correct. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think we can leave it at that. I, I yeah. It's so hard, though, you know, because no, that, then we're just kind of setting ourselves up to make some prediction we know nothing about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say – especially at running back, you know, would you love to have Dalen Ward right now? You know, another year of progression. Would you love to have Joe Wallace in that rotation? Yes. Or would you like Willie's to at least not be a superstar but live up to some of the potential that he has? Yes. So, I don't know. You know, we're going to go through the season. Hopefully the coaching staff gets to stay and win some games. We get to cover a bowl game. But, you know, also it could go the other direction. But even into the off season and, and some of that stuff, you know, regardless of either which way it goes – you know, you're going to have a lot of what is this team? And, and right now, when you look at identity and people think Texas Tech, they think offense, they think air raid. Well, that I'm sorry if, if you you're an outsider been, looking yeah. in, you have not been that. Um, and, and really, the only player that's really, I don't know, just separating themselves among the rest, although he's been injured, is, is Cootie. And uh, outside of that, I mean, Trey King's flashed, but. You just don't have a lot of playmakers, and it, like it, anyway. it feels like you know it. It just feels like you're wasting a lot of decent to to good uh, performances by the defense. And I think you know the players will admit it, right? They know they haven't played a full game, and right. the offense knows that some games that they've won, the defense has picked them up, and vice versa. Um, but you know when you go up against these teams that aren't very good, when you look at a Kansas State, you look at a Baylor. You need to. You have to win those games. These are conference games, and and if you don't win these games, then there's no hope for the rest of the season. And the only conference team you've beat is Kansas. Let's face it, a lot of people can beat Kansas. Um, you know, they're going to need someone to step up and and make plays the remainder of the season, or else I just don't see how Kingsbury and the staff keeps their job. I, I just, I really do not. And it, you know, it pains me to say that because I think a lot of people are hoping that. Kingsbury can can make it happen at Tech, um, but we're starting to see more and more detractors every week. And you know you've already seen it with Florida and McIlwain. Um, that's a you know Tech's not at that level. You know they're not right. writing those checks. They're not they're not making a move like that. You know even if something happens, you and I both know it won't happen until January 2018. Oh no, I, th- I think something would happen in in December, like first or second uh, week of December. I think it would have to. 
Maybe, but I mean, I think it's risky if you do that. I mean, I think you put yourself in a, almost like a self-imposed sanction situation because you risk your entire recruiting class just vanishing. But I it get, is what it I is. Get, I get that, but I think if you're going to make a change, you've got to get out in front of it, and you've got to get in front of the line and say, "Hey, I got to find a head coach, and I got to find the one that that fits us." So, but again, this is all, and I know we've kind of gone full state of the union on this deal. Yeah, today, we have. Uh, Maybe which, we need to. Fine with me, which I think we kind of needed to, honestly, to talk about where things are at. But yeah, I, I just don't know what to think because. Again, I think this is the first year you've seen real progress on defense in a long time. Uh, there's at least an identity there. They're getting turnovers. They've gotten at least one in every single game so far this year. They Honestly, offensively, you really don't turn it over that much either. So it's just a matter of where do you think this is going? And from the first four games, it looked like it was going one way. In the last four games, or I guess the last three games, it's looked like it's going a completely different direction. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll kind of reconvene and have this conversation, uh, depending on what happens this weekend. If you win, won't reconvene, yeah. and if you win against Baylor again, you don't reconvene. But I think if if you start losing here and you're four and five or you're five and five, I think you got to reconvene and say, okay, well, where, where's this going? Because unless you just pull some rabbits out of the hat at the end of the year and you just really somehow figure it out down the stretch in the last two games, then this is going nowhere. So, again, the, the, this four-game stretch is is the most important one of Kingsbury's tenure. And you, you've got to figure out some way, in my opinion, you've really got to figure out some way to go bare minimum two and two. And it's got to be a good-looking two and two where you win two games and the other ones are either real close or you feel like you've made real progress. You, you, know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like the optics of it have to be – Man, if this play would have gone this way or that play would have gone that way, you win those games. So, well, I was going to tell you as we record this um, again. I think I think we're all kind of saying the same thing a couple of different ways. But as we record this, uh, there's going to be a three-star defensive tackle coming in this weekend. So um, I would say Spaz that that's going to right. right. So it's going to be unofficial, but that's positive. That's the first time I'd seen that. Yeah. So that's a positive. One positive today, but. Um, but, but yeah, it, to me, it's just a matter of this, this four game stretch will determine everything. And you just, if you're the staff, you have got to figure out how to play complete games as a team. Yeah, no, you absolutely have to. I mean, I think when, I guess if we look at it from the player standpoint, we know these guys want to win. They just have to focus on keeping their, their focus. Uh, sorry. Wow. That's, that was horrible radio. Focus on (laughs) keeping your focus. Uh, let me get a mulligan on that. No, they have to focus on just the the what they can control. If I would say that, because if if it's true that the whole sideline demeanor changed after the mixed extra point, well, did, so yeah. what? Then you're not paying attention to the games, right? You know this guy might miss it. Just go out there and control what you can control, or go up to coach and tell him you want to kick an extra point. You know, yeah. don't let that get you down. I mean, these guys have been playing enough football that they should know that. And I know there's an argument to be made there that the coaches should keep them focused as well. Uh, but you, you can't have that. I mean, you, you can't have that. you got to focus on what you can control. And if, if things aren't working um, or, or if a call needs to be made or a play needs to be changed, you know, they need to, it needs to be more crispy because as of right now, um, it, it just isn't. And I don't think that um, – I, I don't think the coaches um, – 
yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think the coaches can control everything there, but the the players can absolutely control their effort and can control their 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 focus when it comes to not getting distracted by little things like that because we see it all too often. I mean, you follow follow college football, you see these comebacks, right? I mean, all West, Vir- West yeah. Virginia got down seventeen. They didn't. You know, you know, they didn't deflate. They didn't quit. You know, they didn't do whatever else. Right. You saw it uh, even even this past weekend against Oklahoma State. You know, the the scoreboard might not indicate it, but man, they came back and made it a game with a, a block. It's a one, yeah, one score game at one point at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I just I don't know. I think you could say the same thing about some of the games. You know, you could say that about Iowa State Tech. Um, and obviously then you had the pick six. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think against Kansas State, against Texas, you got to play a, a complete game on offense. You got to play a complete game on defense, and then just especially focused on Kansas State. Uh, you, you're you're kind of going to be interested to see what the defense can do against an offense that's just going to kind of run and lean on you downhill as much as possible. Yeah, you do. And again, I think this is a game that, on paper, it's a football game. You should win. It's a game where uh, you obviously have to. I don't think. Well, you have to win it. Let's, let's just say that. You've got to win this game. And it is, again, it's one that I, I just feel like Tech is the better football team. Again, on paper. But but we've seen this team play down to other to opponents they shouldn't. Uh, we've seen this team play up. I, I just think that's the most frustrating thing right now is you just don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. And you've, you've just got to figure that out here, I think, plain and simple. So, this weekend uh, will give us a lot of answers as far as where things are going and uh, where things are at. So I guess, uh, you know, before we shut this thing down, anything else uh, you got heavy on your heart there? You, what, do you, what do you need to lay at, at the foot of the, the football the football cross here? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like uh, the fo- if the football gods are listening, Will, Maybe we can do a dance or a, a, a ritual or a saying something, whatever will help uh, us avoid uh, five to six, 11 a.m. games. I, uh, I volunteered. I was joking with my buddies uh, on, on Halloween and we we're walking the kids around that every Saturday feels like Groundhog Day to me because I'm, I'm coaching my son's soccer team. We started at 8, 8, 15 in the morning. And then we've had so many 11 a.m. games that my Saturdays have all been the same. Come home as soon as possible or grab a bite to eat right after the game and take a shower and then get ready to watch the tech game. I mean, it's been like that for like four of the past five weeks. And yep. so it's just and then the one week it wasn't at 11 a.m. It was at 2.30. So it's just been no, it seven. OK, yeah, yeah, Last yeah. Last weekend. And and so then you're just you, either way. You, I mean, not that I'm complaining, but you end up just watching college football for like five or six hours and not doing anything else with your life. Um, and so for me, my, that's just been my Saturdays for for what seems like forever. And maybe a lot of folks are the same. I'm I'm certainly not complaining. But when it's the 11 a.m. game, so often it just I don't know. Just please please less of those. Well, you've only got one more the time that you don't know because texas is at six or six thirty on fs1 on friday after thanksgiving and so we know what time that one is and tcu i would guess depending on what happens this weekend will kind of determine if they put it at 2 30 or 11 because i think if you win this weekend and you're five and four and they're what eight and one uh who do I they would, have this weekend Oh, Lord. I think this might actually be the Horn Frogs by week. Let me, uh... Let's just pull up the old schedule here. Why don't more, we? more quality radio. 
you can, as as you hear me, as you hear me typing on my keyboard. Oh, they're playing. Uh, they're playing the old Longhorns in uh, oh, okay. in, in Fort Worth at six o'clock on Saturday night. Got so, it. So that's a game they could. I mean, that's a game they should win, but it'll be a close one. Uh, a closer one than I think a lot of people realize. But again, do you think that there's some kind of factor where TCU just comes out pissed off after they lost the names last week? So, uh, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Their defense is too good for what Texas does on offense. And even if Kenny Hill has a bad game against Texas, I feel like they can grind one out at home and, and win that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it gives them a tough challenge, you know, coming into that following week in Lubbock. And, you know, we talked about it before, Texas. Tex has more wins against TCU in the Big 12, and some of the losses they have are losses that they barely lost. So they, they've played them well, and neither of us are huge believers in Kenny Hill. So, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you saw that this past weekend against Iowa State. You know, again, credit to the Cyclones. They've proven to be a pretty good team on defense. But, um, you know, I think he can be forced into mistakes. Mm. I do, too. I do too. So I guess uh, after our State of the Union, we will see what happens this weekend and we will uh, reconvene next week. So once again, guys, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Victory Bells podcast. Hope you guys really enjoyed it and hope you guys have an awesome weekend. And go to Hypnotic Donuts to eat your breakfast. Eat your breakfast. See ya. See ya.